0: Well, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. My friends, today is the last day of our sermon series. We're turning the page. Next week, we move into Lent, and we turn the page on turning the page. But we got one last turn the page message for our sermon series as we've been journeying, essentially, through the gospel of Mark. Uh, We've been in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark for the most part, but today we're going to fast forward and look at Mark chapter 9, the transfiguration of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we might ask ourselves, what does the transfiguration of Jesus say to us about turning the page? Now, I personally have preached on the transfiguration of Jesus, I don't know how many times, but each time that I preach on it, I sort of see something new. And one thing that kind of struck out to me, especially this year was the way that I've often heard the story of the transfiguration portrayed that sometimes certain emphases in the story uh, maybe they get pushed to the extreme and it often goes something like this right we just read the story right Peter James and John they are kind of the inner three of the 12 disciples Peter James and John they go up the mountain with Jesus. And Jesus is transfigured before them, right? Super bright, dazzling white, glorious light. Verse three says it this way, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Not only that, but some super important pillars of the Old Testament show up. Verse four, there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always wondered, what in the world are they talking about? I guess we'll find out one day in eternal glory. But then one of the disciples speaks. Verse 5, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, it's at this point that the Transfiguration Sermon, often glances judgingly, maybe disdainfully upon Peter. I'm guilty. I've done it before. You know, it goes something like this. There's Peter. Once again, Peter is just getting Jesus wrong. Peter is speaking before he's thinking. And then we sort of criticize Peter for wanting to pause, for wanting to hold on to this mountaintop, glorious, spiritual, awesome experience. And then from there, we might point out, we make the move and say that, well, we can learn from Peter's supposedly foolish suggestion that discipleship isn't about basking in the glory of the mountaintop experiences, but real discipleship, true discipleship, gritty discipleship is all about getting back down in the mountain, getting into the valley, getting into the messy reality of life. And we could probably spend a whole lot of time on what we actually think it looks like going down in the valley, what that should look like, and probably how we fall short in so many ways. And then if we continue in that vein, we often will take the next step from Peter's foolish thinking, and then we focus on the transfiguration sermon. We focus not on Jesus, but on Peter. How we're like Peter, and how often we'll speak before we think, or how we might say we're going to do something for God, but then we don't have the courage to do it. I will never deny you, Jesus. And then the rooster crows. So we often preach the text in this way. We make this connection with Peter, that we, like Peter, often are foolish, imperfect followers who fail as often as we succeed, and yet Jesus builds the church upon Peter upon us that's how we often look at this text we'll look at this text and we'll say you got to get off the mountain you got to get back in the valley you got to get in the game you got to get in the messy reality and all along with that look at peter you're just like him now those interpretations aren't necessarily wrong but sometimes they're pushed as the only way or sometimes they're pushed to an extreme that maybe is not the best for us especially right now you see, when you push it to the extreme, it almost starts to seem like the mountain is bad. The valley is good." But I don't know if that resonates with the big picture of God's great work in the world. We can even start to think that the Transfiguration is really about Peter, Peter thinking and his full-headed thinking and his fool-hearted thinking. We start to focus just on Peter, but does that match the text? Is it really about Peter? You see, sometimes when we look at the Bible, we get into this either-or mentality. It's either this or it's that. It can't be yes and no because, well, that doesn't make sense. It can't be positive and negative, well, that's illogical. It can't be up and down, that's contradictory. But if we pause on that sort of thinking and maybe transfigure our understanding of the transfiguration, perhaps the idea of paradox can come into the play. In fact, I recently took something called the Harrison Assessment, which kind of assesses these paradoxes in your life. And this is what they said. They said, a paradox is two ideas, and I would add realities, that may appear contradictory but are in fact both true. For example, the phrase, sometimes less is more, seems contradictory, but most people have experienced that fewer words can sometimes communicate more effectively. I'll take note of that for next week's sermon. Sorry about that. But if we put it on the also on the lower plane, on the Pastor Mike plane, it's kind of like sweet and salty. I remember when I was a, a youth pastor, someone brought a bunch of chocolate-covered, Pretzels to youth night, right? I think we got a picture of them up there for you. This was decades ago, right? Long before that paradox was embraced and commercialized, right? First experience ever had with the sweet and salty. It seemed like they shouldn't go together. But then when we as a youth group, we tried them. We're like, this works. And I remember one kid going in the youth group, going, this is not right, but I can't stop eating them. They're so good. It's like when they came out with salted caramel ice cream. Who puts salt in their ice cream? It didn't make sense at first, but when you experienced it, you realize, yeah, this paradox worked. Can I get an amen? Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. All right. The reality of paradox teaches us that sometimes we got to turn the page from either or thinking to both and thinking, to turn the page from less or more to less is more, to turn the page from sweet or salty to both sweet and salty. Paradox works. Well, I wonder if we could apply that sort of same thinking to the transfiguration, right? We often get all judgy against Peter when he says in verse 5, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Well, the interesting thing about it is that why are we getting all judgy on Peter? If What he said is actually wrong or out of place. Why doesn't Jesus challenge him? Why doesn't Jesus rebuke him and say, no, it's not good to be here, Peter. What are you looking at, Peter? Get back down the mountain. I mean, think about it. Jesus is the one who led Peter, James, and John up the mountain, right? And if Peter was wrong, uh, why didn't Jesus say, Peter, it's not about mountaintop experiences. The son of man came to serve. Get back down in the valley and do all that serving. Jesus, he's not afraid. Jesus has never been afraid of calling Peter out, right? Just a few verses earlier in Mark chapter 8, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Ouch. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. In fact, I believe that this is one of only a few places in scriptures, if not the only place where Jesus does not respond to someone who is saying something to him. And so what if Jesus' lack of response means that for the most part, Peter is right. Rabbi, teacher, it is good for us to be here. You see, sometimes we anthropomorphize the scriptures or God. We make it more about us, about humanity, than about God. I've got this problem. In fact, if if Peter were around to listen to some of our preaching on this text, and I'm including myself here, he might be like, Michael, uh, don't make me the main point of the sermon, because if you're making me the main point of the sermon, Michael, you're making you the main point of the sermon. I mean, you remember the tradition has it that Peter was crucified for his faith, but he insisted that he be crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was. Peter would be like, don't look at me in this text. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus because he is the one that is shining bright. Maybe Peter gets it right. But gazing upon Christ, Christ who is the light of the world, Christ who created light, looking and gazing upon him and his glorious light, this is good. And I'd argue perhaps more than good to look upon christ in all his glory to experience christ true god true man that is at the core of discipleship that is at the core of following jesus that's at the core of our identity as children of god it's at the core of our very existence it's at the core of every move we make and breath we take to look upon the glory of jesus in fact When Peter looks up and sees the glorious transfigured Christ, he sees the humanity of Jesus fused with the eternal glory of God, and Peter gets a chance to witness more intensely than any of us one of the greatest mysteries of the faith that God became human, that Jesus is God in the light that pulses from Jesus on the mountain. It is the same light that said, let there be light in the beginning, the source of all light. It's the very light that for all those who struggle with darkness in the world, it's the very light that they're yearning for, that they are longing for. It's the light that one day will illumine the renewed creation when there will one day be no sun or moon, but only Jesus, the uncreated light. John, who was there on the mountain, right? Peter, James, and John, they're all up there. John would later write about the experience of this light and write about what this light is going to be like in the new creation, in the new Jerusalem, in the new city. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. This is the glorious light that Peter, James, and John are beholding in Jesus, their rabbi, their teacher, their Lord, their Savior, their friend. Up on the Mount of Transfiguration. I mean, the experience was radical. It changed their world. In fact, Peter, St. Peter, he wrote about it later. Second Peter chapter 1, he said, We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So maybe, maybe just... Maybe Peter is right. It is good for us to be here. It's good for us to be here. The past 11 months have been pretty crazy for the entire world. Maybe we all need a little light and glory and mountaintop right now. I know because many of you have come to me struggling down in the valley. And some of you, you don't know if you can drudge through the valley much longer. Death, divorce, sickness, depression, family problems, relational problems, financial struggles, the broken darkness of life in the valley. Sometimes the church, unfortunately, Sometimes the church just says, well, you just got to press on and you got to keep going. It's just messy. It's just life and the value. You can do it. But perhaps the idea of paradox can help us out here right now. Perhaps the lower we go into the valley, the higher up the mountain we need to go. We need to go higher in order to go lower. We need to get high up on the sacred mountain of glory in order to drudge through the low valley of suffering. If we're going to survive and thrive down in the valley, we got to spend time up on the mountain with Jesus and all of his glory and light and divinity and love and strength and compassion and mercy and truth. Just to behold him and be with him. we got to turn the page from either or to both and. It's not the mountain or the valley, it's both and. It's both the mountain and the valley. That's what Jesus did. He came down from the heights of the heavens higher than any other mountain in the world, and he traveled down to the lowest depths, lower than any valley to the depths of suffering on the cross. And then he traveled back up to the heights of the right hand of the Father, and then he sent his spirit back down to us. Jesus is the highest, but he went the lowest for us so that we could be lifted up and experience his glory. It is good for us to be here, period. Pause. Let's not get too eager to get down the mountain. It is good for us to be here. I know many of you, my friends, you need some mountain time. You need to get up to the bright light of the Mount of Glory. I'm giving you permission to get out of the valley. You gotta go higher, you gotta get higher if you're gonna go lower. Now, you might be wondering, well, how how's it done? How's it done, Pastor Mike? That's a good question. It's a question you're going to struggle with your whole entire life, but I can give you a few tips, and I think that you're doing it right now, right? When you worship that's going up the mountain. When you dedicate daily time to prayer and being in the word, that's going up the mountain. When you carve out time to be with God's people, that is going up the mountain. When you uh, receive the Lord's Supper, that is going up the mountain. When you talk with God and you have Sabbath rest, that's going up the mountain. When you stare at and when you think about and when you contemplate the eternal light that is Jesus Christ and you confess before all that it is good for us to be here. That is going up the mountain. Get up there. You got to get up the mountain. You got to get up and be with Jesus. Gaze upon his light. Look to the Son, who he is. The almighty, eternal Son of God who endured the valley of humanity on the cross for you for your glory, it's the only way that you can really live in the valley. The higher up you go with Jesus, the lower you can go with him in the valley. Let's turn the page from either or to both and, both the mountain and the valley. It is good for us to be here. Amen.